Just like that, we are 20 days away from Christmas. Who's got their Christmas shopping done? Wow, no one. This is great. Everyone's just relying on Amazon Prime. This is gonna be awesome. So, well, Christmas is coming up soon, right? And we all know it's coming. And for a lot of us, it may be the first time we've seen some extended family in a long time. And for some of us, that's really exciting, right? And for others of us, that's a little, brings a little bit of anxiety with that because maybe your relationship with some extended family is, is strained or there's conflict there or maybe just you haven't talked in a long time and you don't know what to expect. And so we figure we're gonna take these next few weeks during this Home for Christmas series and just look through some scripture that will help us navigate this season as we're kind of back with family and back with people we haven't seen in a while. And so if you wanna follow along today, you can go to uh, lexity.info, click on sermon notes there. You can follow along with the sermon today. And we're gonna talk about um, Matthew chapter five, one verse in particular, and it's from the Beatitudes, which is kind of the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm gonna kind of read through the first part and then we're gonna focus on one verse. And so it's Matthew chapter five, one through nine. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That last one is the one that we're gonna really focus on today. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called children of God. I think this one applies to our homes and our families so much. And Because don't we all just want peace in our homes? Parents of little kids, don't you just want some peace and quiet in your home? But if we're honest, so many of our homes are not characterized by peace. They're characterized by conflict, by strife, by tension. And I believe that God has something better for us. He wants our homes to be characterized as peace. A lot of times our homes feel a little bit like this picture right here, right? Like a little messy. That's extreme. That's like hoarder's edition right there, okay? But we have those moments where our houses are just chaotic with kids, with stuff, with Laundry, how many of you guys are great at doing laundry and folding, but they never make it to the actual rooms, right? You feel me? Like this is what our houses can feel like. And some of you are like, you're talking to me. My home's got a lot of dysfunction in it, but most of it's not my fault. And the reality is that may be true because every home, right, has an incredibly difficult family member. Maybe not in your immediate family, but everyone in their extended family has that crazy difficult person, Right? That crazy uncle, that weird aunt, that interesting cousin. Who in their family, by a show of hands, has an interesting, crazy person in your family somewhere, right? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Look around, keep them up, keep them up. Okay, if your hand is not up, you may be that person in your family. Like it may be you. You might be the crazy person, all right? Here's the deal. Relationships are just difficult and they're challenging especially when it comes to our families. And we can easily slip into dysfunctional cycles in our relationships. I think about when my kids were little. I think my boys were around five and three years old. And I knew it was time to get a trampoline because my five-year-old was doing flips off of our couch in our living room and I was like, I think this needs to go outside, all right? So we bought a trampoline. We've had one ever since. My kids are now, my boys are now 16 and 14. And I remember they were out there and, and when we were kids, 
we didn't have nets, right? There was no safety, right? You just, you fell off, you broke stuff, right? Like we didn't wear helmets when we rode bikes. Things have changed a lot since the 70s and 80s, okay? And so I remember my kids would, that net was for safety, but they would use it as like to lean up against and like wrestle on, and then they would pound each other, right? So my boys are wrestling and they're arguing. I remember being outside one day and I heard one of them say, you hurt me. The other one said, no, you hurt me. Then they laughed and said, let's do it again. <laughs> but when we think about dysfunctional, unhealthy family dynamics, sometimes it boils down to, you hurt me. No, you hurt me. Let's do it again and again and again. And we end up in challenging relationships instead of those that are characterized by peace. You guys have heard the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. It's the crazy cycle, and we live like that sometimes in our families. I don't know about what it is for you, but maybe you're trying to raise your kids, and your mom keeps looking over your shoulder and giving you advice unsolicited, and you're like, stay out of this, mom. So there's tension with you and your mom. Maybe it's your own kids. They just fight all of the time, and you find yourself saying things that you thought you'd never say. What do parents say that we should? It's like the lowest form of parenting. What do we say? Because I said so. Like, that's when we're done as parents, all right? Like, we're done. We just want to go take a shower and go to bed, eat some ice cream, leave us alone. When we said that, right? In the car, what do we say? I will turn this car around. I will pull this car over. I'm going to count to three, and you count to three, and nothing happens, right? You count to five, nothing happens. You count to 30, and the kids are like, he's never going to pull this car over. This is so easy. But we say things like that. Maybe you are the kid, you're a teenager, and you think, my parents will never trust me. They're always breathing down my neck. They're so controlling. Maybe you're in a blended home, and you're trying to raise your kids and her kids and our kids, and the exes are involved, and it's incredibly complicated, and you're thinking, how could there ever be peace in our home with so many moving parts? And some of you may be at a place where to this day you have not forgiven your mom or your dad for something that happened years and years ago. So today we're going to look at one of the Beatitudes of Jesus. And I have a tremendous expectation that God is going to do something in your heart because God is moving in this room today. Let me just repeat that verse. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now when Jesus said blessed are the peacemakers, there's two words from the original biblical language that translates as the word peace. In the Old Testament, in the Greek word, the word is irene. In the New Testament, the Hebrew word is shalom. And for years, the word shalom has kind of been a well-known greeting. The original words for peace mean a little bit more than what we think in our English language. The word peace or shalom, it means more than just the absence of bad. It doesn't just mean I wish you don't have hard times. It also means I wish you the highest good. So when Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers, he doesn't just mean I want your home to be free of tension and strife. He also wants the highest good. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And when Jesus said this, just like the other Beatitudes, everybody listening would have been shocked. These were very like countercultural statements that he was making because they were raised in the Old Testament mindset of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If someone hits you, you hit them back. If someone steals from you, you steal back from them. So he was saying something very shocking, blessed are the peacemakers. But what he was saying was, 
if you're going to follow me, there is a higher calling. There is a higher level of accountability to follow me. And we think and act differently. Notice he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. And there's a big difference. For years and years, I was kind of a peacekeeper. I still can be sometimes, but there's a difference. So what are peacekeepers? Peacekeepers often avoid conflict to keep the peace. Where are my non-confrontational people in the room? Non-confrontational. You're like, I don't even want to raise my hand because that feels confrontational. I don't even want to. Yeah, right? Like, that's you. Peacekeepers, they'll work around the issues, not through the issues, trying to keep the peace. And so we kind of get to this place where we're like, oh, let's just make a truce. Let's just not talk about it. Maybe it'll go away. Let's get together at family dinners and we'll smile and we'll act like everything's great. But behind the scenes, there's so much tension and it's just brewing. If you're like a lot of people, like you stuff it down, stuff it down, right? And then at some point you can't stuff it down anymore. And all of a sudden you're at a meal, right? And all of a sudden a fight breaks out because you're just so over it. And you've been stuffing it for so long. And the person's like, where did this come from? Well, it came from dozens of unresolved issues along the way. Jesus didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said blessed are the peacemakers. So what will a peacemaker do? A couple things. Peacemakers embrace conflict to make peace. We're not going to work around the issue. We're going to work on the issue. We're going to work through the issue. And with the help of the Prince of Peace, which is Jesus, we believe there can be peace in our homes. I think it's interesting that people all around America say this phrase. We are, in a, we are a Christian family or we have a Christian home. And I would contend that maybe we should be saying that we are a Christ-centered home or not just a Christian family. And you're saying, what's the difference? The difference is right now, unfortunately... 80-some percent of people, when you ask them in a survey, they will say that they are Christ followers, that they are a Christian, and that they have a Christian home. But when you look at the home, it's not one that looks like a Christ-centered home. And so what is a Christ-centered home? Jesus isn't just a part of our life. He is our life. We are disciples of Christ, which means what? It means we are following Christ. We are being constantly changed by Christ, and we're committed to the mission of Christ. In a cultural Christian home, in a Christian home that's only Christian by name only, when something happens, we just say, well, forget you. We're not going to mess with them. You want me to forgive them? After all they've done, I wouldn't forgive them. They have to come back to me crawling on their hands and knees, and I probably still wouldn't forgive them. And that's normal. But in a Christ-centered home, what does Jesus teach us about how to do relationships? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul says something very similar in Romans 12, 17, uh, 17, 18. He says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some of you are sitting here watching this, or you're watching online, and you're going, man, I hope old so-and-so hears this message right now. In fact, I'm going to send them the link when this is over. They need to hear this message. What he says right here, as far as it depends on you, on me, do everything possible to live at peace. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So if we're going to live and, and create a Christ-centered home, what does it look like? 
How are we gonna be peacemakers? So what do peacemakers do? I'm gonna give us three things. They're in your notes there. Number one is this. Tell the truth in love. Ephesians 4 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Because we are a Christ-centered home, we will tell the truth in love. Notice it doesn't say yell the truth in love. We also forget the in love part, right? Some of us are like really good at speaking the brutal truth, and then we just go, hey, I'm just giving you the truth. I'm just being honest, right? And then we say in a way that doesn't really have the in love piece there at all. We say things like, you always leave your clothes there. Like, you were a foot away from the hamper. There was one foot, right? That's not love. That's yelling the truth at the person. So how do we tell the truth in love? A couple of things that are really, really important would be this. What, number one is this. Tell the truth in love during non-conflict times. That's when we work on important issues. In other words, if someone's throwing a shoe at you because they're angry at you, it's not a good time to go, well, since you're already mad, here's three more things that you do that really really hack me off, right? We want to speak the truth in love in non-conflict times. The second thing to remember is that we attack the issue, never the person. Confront the issue, never the person. So non-conflict times and then confront the issue, never the person. I can have the tendency, like compassion and mercy is not super high on my list of abilities, Okay. Like, I really do speak truth. I try to speak truth in love, but I don't always do that. So I have to have people like my wife for the last 21 years of our marriage that comes alongside me and says, like, you're not going like, to, like, say it that way, right? Like, I'll, sometimes I'll tell her, like, I'm going to have this meeting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. And she's going to go, that's not, like, how you're really going to say it, right? And I'm like, well, it was, but not now. Like, how should I say this? And so you have to have people in your life that come alongside you and say, like, that's truthful. But is it wise? Is it right? Is it in the right tone? Is there love attached to the truth that you're saying? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So a couple of little statements I just wrote down that I think could be helpful when we're dealing with things with our families and we're maybe in conflict, right? So examples of this, you might say, when you don't listen to me, I don't feel like you value me. That's a statement. This is how I feel when you do this. When you lie to me about something really insignificant, I find it difficult to trust you. Or we're confronting the issue. When you continue to check your phone at the dinner table, the rest of us feel devalued. This is a real one, right? I remember my kids are really, probably pretty young. This is probably like eight, 10 years ago. We got done with dinner. I went and I was taking a shower. And I remember my son Caleb my phone must have been vibrating. So he runs into the bathroom and reads me my text message while I'm in the shower. Super weird. Till I realized I'm so attached to that phone, he thinks I need to know that right now. Because he saw me check my phone at the dinner table. He saw me not be engaged with the family. And he's like, dad must really need this thing right here. So what we do is we confront the issue not the person. And we do it in non-conflict times and we tell the truth in love. That's number one. The second one, apologize when you are wrong. James 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Think about this for a moment. What do you think your relationships would look like when you sinned, if you confessed it and said, I'm so sorry, what I did was wrong, will you please forgive me? And then you prayed together. 
Can you imagine how incredibly different our relationships would look if we modeled this? If we just owned our stuff, that's such a great principle in life, right? Because our sin is based on our selfishness. So if we can just own our selfishness and then say, man, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Will you please forgive me? Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. Now, how do we do that? We admit to specific actions without excuses. We say, here's what I did was wrong, no excuses. Don't dare say something like, you know what, I was looking at something inappropriate online, but it's because you're not really meeting my needs, so therefore it's really your fault. That's not an apology. Saying things like, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, you big baby. Not an apology, right? We apologize for specifics. We say something like this, I'm so sorry that I belittled you in front of your friends. I have no excuse for that. That was wrong. I'm really sorry I didn't consider you. I should have called when I was going to be late. I can see why you were worried. I'm sorry I raised my voice at you like that. That was disrespectful. Please forgive me. I'm sorry I dropped the cat from the roof. I just wanted to see if you could land on all fours, right? Okay, that one wasn't real. Maybe. There's a difference between, and don't miss this, there's a difference between remorse and repentance. So often we stop with remorse. It's kind of like, well, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry we're having this hard time. I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt. I'm sorry we're going through this. That's remorse. Repentance, the word means to turn about face. So you're, it's a military term. You're literally walking this direction and you turn about face and you walk away from that sin and you walk towards God and you walk towards the relationship. That's what repentance is. I sinned. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And when you sin, don't stop with, I'm sorry. You may want to jot it down. I'm sorry is for mistakes. Will you forgive me is for sin. I'm sorry I left the toilet lid up. That's a mistake, right? Will you forgive me for deceiving you? That's a sin. Don't just stop at, I'm sorry. But when you've actually sinned against someone, you say, will you please forgive me? When all of our kids were really young, this was like a daily thing, right? Caleb, you punched your brother. I need you to apologize. I need you to ask him for forgiveness. Then we're gonna make you pray together. That was the one they hated the worst. Like pray for your brother. I'm not doing that. I'd rather punch him again, right? <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. This may be difficult, but listen, we're not just a Christian family. We're not just culturally Christian family. We're not Christian in name only. We want to be Christ-centered in all that we do. And Christ calls us not to just wish the absence of harm, but the highest good. He calls us to something more. So we tell the truth in love. We apologize when we're wrong. And the last one is this. Forgive and let go. And let me just walk into this gent gently for a moment. Because at this point, I know for a lot of you, there's a tremendous amount of pain in your life. There's a tremendous history that you've walked through. And some of you are thinking right now, well, your little pastor problems don't probably compare to the problems that I have in my life. And it may not have been through what you've been through, but I do understand that betrayal is very difficult to forgive. And some of you today, in person or watching online, your spouse betrayed you. They cheated on you, maybe multiple times. And you're saying, you want me to forgive them? How can I forgive them? 
I know for some of you, you got someone that you trusted with everything in you and they lied to you and they deceived you and they left you in a really, really hard place, a really hard place to forgive. I know there are times of, those of you, many of you, when you have someone in your life, in your family maybe that should have protected you and they didn't. Instead, they took advantage of you or maybe they abused you and you say, how in the world do I forgive that? I'm not here to tell you it's gonna be easy. I'm telling you that it is doable. It's incredibly important for a Christ-centered home. The Bible tells us how we do it. He says in Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we give? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm gonna ask you a question. Has the Lord forgiven you of a lot of sins, of a lot of your mistakes? And I can only speak for me. He's forgiven me of things every day. I mess up every single day. Has the Lord forgiven you freely even though you did not deserve it and couldn't earn it? That's what grace is. It's undeserved favor or merit. We don't deserve it, but God gives it to us anyways. That's how we're called to forgive, to freely forgive as we've been forgiving. That's what peacemakers do. I wanna speak to the parents just for a second. As a parent, one of the most difficult things that we do, but one of the most important things that we can model for our kids is asking for their forgiveness. It's hard because we feel like I'm the adult, they're the child, I'm right, they're wrong. But, and I tell you what, I make mistakes as a dad all of the time. And I have to go to my kids all the time and say, you know what, I'm sorry that I yelled at you. I'm sorry that I said that the way that I said that because I attacked you. I didn't confront the issue. I'm sorry that I missed this thing. I'm sorry I wasn't more engaged. Will you please forgive me? Not once have my kids went, nah, I'm not gonna forgive you for that. Every time they're like, oh yeah, of course, no problem. But we're modeling for them how they live the rest of their life and how they treat other people, how they engage with people in their relationships and how they engage in their future families as well. Because our family is worth it. It's worth it. Because there's some of us that call ourselves Christians, but we're not, we're not living this. We're not acting like it. When someone strikes us on one cheek, we turn the other one. When someone asks for our shirt, we give them our coat as well. When our marriages and our relationships get hard, we don't just walk away. We don't write off our children. We don't say, no matter how old they are, you've done this, I'm writing you off. What we don't do is we don't walk away from our in-laws. You say, well, my in-laws are annoying. Well, of course they are, they're annoying. You're gonna be an in-law one day and you'll be annoying then too, okay? We don't walk away from our family. We don't cut our family out. Family is worth it. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We show mercy as we've been shown mercy. And while we're at it, if we're followers of Jesus, family isn't just blood. Family goes beyond that into the body of Christ. When we act like Christ and when we forgive, when we act like him and we show mercy, when we act like him, we make peace. We are called children of God. I've got three children and guess what? They all look a little bit like me. Those who are lucky look more like Ashley, but some of them look like me. Here's a picture of my family right here. They look a little bit like me. And guess what? 
when we make peace and when we do everything possible to live at peace with everyone, and when we even take it and let someone hurt us and freely forgive, guess who we look like? We look like our Heavenly Father, created in His image, conformed to the likeness of His Son. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. As we close out this morning, do me a favor, just close your eyes all around the room. Those of you watching online as well, just bow your heads. Just take a moment right now between you and God. Because I fully believe that, that, that some of us here today, our homes are not feeling like they're characterized by peace. We've been peacekeepers for too long. But today we wanna start understand what it looks like to be a biblical peacemaker. And sometimes we may have to actually embrace conflict to make peace in our homes and our relationships. Jesus, I pray for everyone that's listening right now. As we approach this Christmas season, as we celebrate all that, that means to us as Christ followers. God, I pray for the homes right now, the immediate homes, the extended family homes. God, that we could begin the process of being Christ-centered homes that are characterized by peace. Lord, may we get off the crazy cycle of some of our stuff in our families, God. We know that can only happen by the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're in here today or you're watching online and you would say, you know what, Zach, I don't really have peace in my heart because I don't think I have a relationship with Jesus. And I'll tell you that maybe what you're living for, which is success and and your image and all the things that we're living for that just kind of leave us empty at the end of the day. There is a hole in our hearts that can only be filled by a relationship with Jesus. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means that he knows all the junk, all the conflict, all the things in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives. And in spite of that, he loves us unconditionally. And he takes it one step further. He wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus. So if you're here right now with every head bowed, every eye closing, so you, you would say, Zach, that's me. I don't wanna walk into another Christmas season not knowing that I have a relationship with Jesus. I wanna ask from my heart right now today. If that's you, just would you just boldly lift your hand up right now and say, that's me. Say, I wanna ask Christ to come into my life right now. Awesome. See your hands. Anybody else? I would say, that's me. Very cool. I'm gonna say a prayer right now and it's just you connecting your heart to the very heart of God. Just say something like this in your own heart. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to change me. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my sins. And 
that he beat death and rose again. I'm tired of living for me. I want to start living for you. In Jesus' name.